From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Sit him under center. Snap. Pitches to the left. Samir White at the 10. Has the 5. Racing to the pylon. TDLV. Raiders in the end zone. They capitalize on the Masterson interception. White with his second touchdown of the preseason. Garbers tosses left. Brown holding it in his left arm. Runs in untouched. Six easy. TD Raiders. Hand off to Robbins. Robbins straight up the middle. Spins toward the goal line. He's in for a touchdown. Caught by Kyle Williams at the eight to the five. He's inside to about the two before he's gang tackled and finally stopped. Now he's pushing forward and he falls into the end zone for a touchdown. Oh, baby, what an effort by Kyle Williams. He dragged four guys into the end zone. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Here we go. Cofield and company on a Monday. A lot of cool football highlights from the weekend. Russ Langer, UNLV, Jason Horowitz, Raiders. Uh, one game counted in the regular season. That was a UNLV game. The other one, a nice mark, right? Raiders go unbeaten. We'll get into what that means. You hear Zamir White touchdown. So that was cool. We know the running back picture is getting a little more clear. Will Ramirez is here as the company, Ari, is in our Finley Toyota Studios. We're all in the Finley Toyota Studios. Let's do it. It's the three on Cofield and Company. So Willie covered a bunch of stuff this weekend. We'll get into uh, some of the particulars at the venues with the Raiders, the Aces, and UNLV football. But we start out with the Aces. Most recent result. And you told us last week, the Storm were going to be tough. Interesting matchup. And it turned out that way, and... You thought some of it was on the coaching end? Disadvantage, aces in this one? Well, last week when we spoke, I just I had I had said that I felt that the way that the aces were able to dismantle a very shorthanded, mentally, physically, emotionally exhausted Mercury team whose season was upended before the season got started with Brittany Griner, um, whereas the storm Pretty much, they they came back from a game that Washington was in control in game one and then dominated game two. The Mystics might have been the most dominant defensive team since the All-Star break, but overall was the number one defensive, you know, in terms of analytics. So I felt that that mattered. And yesterday I got there early. I talked to Becky Hammond. I talked to Raquana Williams. And I talked to Sue Bird. Just, you know, just to get a vibe. Um, so that way when I followed up for my story, I could say, well, this is what they said. And it sure looked like it in the first quarter. It looked like, you know, a team that had breezed through the Phoenix Mercury. Not that they thought they were going to do the same thing, but they came out not expecting a team like they saw. And Seattle was playing a better disciplined brand of basketball that, you know, eventually built a 12-point first-half lead. And they, without a doubt, um, as they made adjustments, no secret to how they were, you know, running their switches, frustrating the aces, frustrating their defense, 
And at times at the other end, you'd see Kelsey Plummer, Jackie Young guarding Brianna Stewart. Now, all due respect to both those young ladies who can play defense, but you're talking about Brianna Stewart. I mean, you're talking about somebody who's up there with Asia for MVP of the year and defensive player and uh, controls the paint. That's a little tall task, literally and figuratively speaking, for them. So I just felt that the adjustments, or the, what Noel Quinn had brought into the game and what the game plan, she even said afterwards, we asked her, what was it that you were able to do? And she kind of chuckled. She goes, well, I'm not going to divulge my secrets. I mean, you can go back and watch the game field and see what we did, but in general, we knew what we were going to do coming in. And whether or not Becky made the adjustment, Becky Hammond made the adjustments or not, the Aces just couldn't keep up with what Seattle was doing on the fly, with switches, off ball screens. They played a perfect basketball game where the Aces had to play catch-up. They were trailing for three and a half quarters before Raquena Williams put them up by a point. And Seattle controlled the – I mean, realistically, they dominated. Now what? Next game. Um, I think that the Aces are going to make the right adjustments. They're going to break down game film, and you're not going to shut down Asia Wilson like that you did in the first game and then her not come out with a vengeance. That's just not – I mean, Asia Wilson's going to come out with fire in her eyes, and that crowd will, you know, again, will be lit. Um, I think that they're, they 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 now they now understand what they're up against. I'm not saying that they don't know what Seattle's capable of. It's just that when you come off of a series like you did – and then you have eight days off, right, or seven days off, and you play on the eighth day, that's difficult. Where Seattle, and Becky has even said in times, hey, I'd rather be on the road sometimes. There's less pressure because all you have to worry about is gathering as a group in the hotel, showing up. The pressure's on the home team. The pressure's always on the home team. Look at the the nightcap. Chicago, the defending champs, uh, Candace Parker, Court, could, could the Connecticut's son went in there, took care of business. The pressure's on the home team a lot of times because the road teams, they're focused on just one task. Here you get to go home, you got sort of distractions, you're focused on other things. But the Aces had a wake-up call. They will bounce back and play a better game. Whether they win, uh, we'll see. Next game at home, what day? Wednesday night, 7 p.m. It's flopped, so Connecticut-Chicago will be the first half of the doubleheader. Michelob Ultra Arena, 7 o'clock. Seattle at Las Vegas. Possibly the last time Las Vegas fans could see the great Sue Bird. Friday, Saturday, busy for you and busy for the Raiders. They had the preseason game on Friday night. Yeah. Against the Patriots. That was also part in the beginning of Alumni Weekend. So what was Alumni Weekend like? Alumni Weekend, Steve, I will have to be honest with you, was kind of like a kid in a candy store because Mm -hmm. a lot of the guys that I was sitting there talking to, I watched as a little kid. When you and I were watching Howard Cosell on Monday Night Football and Brent Musburger on NFL Today and Brian Gumbel on, you know, the NFL preview show on NBC back in those days, um, you know, you're, you're seeing these guys up close and, and you're sitting there interviewing and, you you know, and at times I'm sitting there trying to, you keep your professional hat on, but you're just thinking, man, when I was a little kid, as I've told this story, you know, turning down the volume and recording myself doing play-by-play on Monday Night Football, watching Marcus Allen play, and now I'm sitting here interviewing him in 2022 about what it means to be a Raider and the brotherhood in the you know and and so on and so forth. I mean, it, it was really cool. Jim Plunkett, 
Bill Villapiano, Fred Bolitnikoff. Fred, Fred was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Villapiano was hilarious. They're all great. Mike Haynes. I mean, the names go on and on. And, and Richie Incognito, he was there. Raider alumni now, right? One year with Raiders. He, he talked about what it meant because the same way at his exit interview when he retired. So, um, yeah, no, that was, it was really cool before that to to be down there on the what they called the black carpet. Here's Marcus Allen talking about being part of that Raiders family. Well, we're certainly a band of brothers, that's for sure. And everybody. I mean, I'm sure every organization feels that way. But there's something, you know, the mystique with the Raiders, the uh, – you know, the autumn wind, the song itself, you know, and it really yeah, tells a, an incredible story about an organization that, uh, you know, really sort of believes and, and, and teaches that, hey, if you, it's ours. Let's go get it. And we let nothing stand in our way. So, uh, and you have a bunch of guys that, you know, it's almost like as a kid growing up, you know, and, and, and watching the Raiders and stuff, and they were sort of bigger than life. And then... To go there and to you know to to experience and play with that that same sort of style that I watched on TV and stuff and so it's yeah we have some rich rich traditions some great great players and um, you can't even talk about the National Football League without talking about the Raiders. He was a cool cat. He's still a cool cat, right? He's got a presence yeah. about him, doesn't he? There's an aura about Marcus Allen. He does, and I you know I uh, told our good friend Mike Taylor. I said, listen. I know that everybody, because everyone was coming through. And then there were several of us that waited around. I mean, a lot of the media that had to get back upstairs or they're, they're trying to get visuals out on the field before they, you know, they tell you you have to go because, you know, certain times you can go post it pre and post game. We were waiting. Kevin Martin, myself, uh, Paul Gutierrez, we were all waiting for Mark Allen. And he comes down. I told Mike, I said, listen, I need to thank him for something. I reminded him. And he came down. I said, and so Mike introduced. He said, "Hey, this is Willie Ramirez, local." And he looked at me and pointed, like with his eyebrows crinkled. I was like, "Your brother? We did a Zoom. Your brother was." He goes, "Yes, last year." Da-da. He remembers. I said, "I just wanted to thank you because the PR agent for his brother had said, you know, it's, it's touch or go whether we're going to get Marcus. He doesn't do a lot of these, especially if it's the unknown. You know, just what what this is for, and he's you know he's very particular with media." And uh, so anyway, I just thanked him, and he was cool. He was really cool. And he was was really – everybody was elated and sort of overcome with somewhat of a little bit of joy and emotion of of coming together and and telling stories and – Villapiano telling stories, you know, just saying the stories that were were being told. I was like, aren't you glad that there wasn't social media back then? He goes, oh. (laughs) (laughs) So – that that was, I think, that they got the kick out of most. Is like, remember this, remember that, and they were they were catching up. So yeah, it was it was neat. So we have some questions coming out of training camp for the Raiders. We're not, we're not going to go hog wild on game number four of the preseason. It was mostly backups out there, and guys were going to hit the uh, unemployment line. Uh, other than the Patriots, who ran four series with their starting unit and their starting defense to start the game, so it, it is a bit of a important thing to note that the Raiders backups smacked the crap out of the Patriots starters. We're all wondering what's going to be the deal with Darren Waller in week one of the regular season. So what's happening? Well, (laughs) I, uh, I personally am sticking to my belief of what I've said on this show in that they've come to him and told him, we're going to take care of you. We have to get through 
you know, cuts and that final cut, which is tomorrow at one o'clock, and they're going to know who's on the market for offensive lines. And you know, someone someone sort of devil's advocate in me and says so like, well, even if they reached out, how much could that possibly cost them to take away from? Why wouldn't they lock up Darren Waller? I was like, well. You want to tie certain things up and see what you have, and then you make your offer. I mean, he knows he's going to be taken care of. I personally think this this little this this deal with his uh, with uh, Clutch Sports, his former agency, is that they wanted him doing things that he didn't want to do. Like I don't, I believe that Darren Waller wants to be on the field. That's why we saw him for one day last week or whatever it was two weeks ago when he said when he told both Paul Gutierrez and I at an Aces game. I'm good. I'm straight. I'll be I'll be out there next week. I think that he thought things were going to be cleared up. Clutch probably dropped the ball, hardball, and he go, no, 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 we're going to get you more, whatever it may have been. And, and again, I'm not discounting that he may have had some little bumps and bruises, but that's a big, tough dude, man. He's walking and talking just fine. He's jumping up out of his chair every time that Kelsey, Chelsea, Asia does a play at, at, the, at the Aces game. His reaction in terms of jumping up. Right, so I think that after he went out there one time, they were like, "Well, dude, what are you doing? You're our agent. We're telling you, to do. okay, okay, back and forth." And they're not getting anything done because they're playing hardball. And I don't think that that's his style. I've been on record saying that's not his style. He wants to be with the band of brothers out there. We just heard what Marcus Allen said. I believe that Darren Waller fits that that model. And I think that Darren Waller wants to be on the field. He he trusts them. Doesn't mean that he's going to get hurt. He probably he was never going to play in a preseason game. They don't go that hard in practice. I'm not jinxing anybody, but a, a guy like that, as athletic and 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 in shape as he is, he's not going to he's not going to get hurt in practice because they're not doing much to 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 get those guys hurt. So I think he wants to be out there, and I think once he's able to hire an agent Wednesday, they will. Now I, I talked to somebody today. Um, who will remain nameless, but he said that, you know, once he hires someone, expect a delay of an extent of, of the signing, but it could happen before game one, but possibly next week, further away from the signing of the new agent because you don't want to come in and immediately make a deal because then Clutch could say, well, wait a minute, we've been negotiating this. Now he just waited, hired someone, and they're inking the deal. We want our commission. The, the deal he just cut, we've been working on. They just mm. He just got someone to do it. So you wait, you know. But I think that he's going to, you know what, he's going to play week one. Darren Waller wow, will okay. be on the field. He will be on the field for the Raiders week one. This dude wants to be with his team, period. Joe Zina Anderson, NFL insider, said, my understanding is Raiders tight end Darren Waller has had a deal in discussion that would make him the highest paid at his position in terms of at least the new money at uh, around 16 mil a year. She says, per league source, Waller is currently in the midst of changing representation. So we'll track this throughout the day. We'll have updates on Darren Waller. So there's some optimism on lots of fronts. Most importantly, optimism, glass overflowing from our guy, Willie. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. I think what was most impressive was that he was in tune with the game plan and not just that he had an impressive percentage as far as completion, but that he knew where to go. There was no accidental completion. I think that's what we're seeing. Is the learning curve still is, is a factor with Harrison as far as getting comfortable with the offense so we can run it as efficiently as possible. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 
Well, that's a hell of a game for Doug Brumfield. That was Caleb Herring, analyst for Rebel Football, a former quarterback with the Rebels, also the host of uh, UNLV All Access Podcast that we do every Wednesday, drop it on Thursdays, co-host of the Marcus Royal Radio Show. He was on this morning. That audio, uh, that audio was from the press box. I wanted to give you a little feel for what he said about both Doug Brumfield and Harrison Bailey. We'll get to Bailey. Brumfield was the star. First of all, he got the start. Yep. As you said. It's not a pat on the back situation because last year I was wrong. I thought he would start and Justin Rogers got the start, but I just saw too much in practice from Brumfield. He has a leg up on the SEC transfer, Bailey, in that he's been in the system. I think Friel has a leg up as well. This is a difficult system. Caleb pointed out this morning on the press box. That spot was at 830. Go listen to the entire show at LVSportsNetwork.com. Podcasted. But Caleb also pointed out that Harrison Bailey mentioned in the spring about how hard and complicated, maybe not complicated, how, you know, I want to I get the exact terminology because I don't want to make it sound like Arroyo's doing something wrong, but that the, the system for the Rebels offensive system is very detailed. And he said more detailed than Tennessee, and a lot of people were like, what? No way. It is. Okay. And, and so you need, you need to be in the system. And maybe there's a way they can accelerate Bailey, but I thought Bailey all throughout fall practice, training camp, looked a tick behind. And when you watched the performance by Brumfield, he was 21 to 25 in just over a half. He had to come in for one play, I think because of a, I don't know, equipment malfunction for Bailey. He was 21 to 25 for 356 in a half. And how many times do you remember him having to evade pressure and throw on the run, almost everything was timing. So his understanding of the offense, the execution by the offense, maybe this Idaho State defense isn't very good against the pass. We'll find out in in more games. But Brumfield looked really comfortable. That was something that you pointed out, um, you know, when I asked you. Last week, when I asked you on, on throw the flag, you you know, that he just – Looked fluid was the word I kept using. And here's the thing about the system. Let's not get that shocked when Bailey says it's more, you know, it's it's a little more intricate or detailed than the SEC because it's UNLV and Mountain West. This is Marcus Arroyo who designed an offense, hello, in the Pac-12. One of the most efficient offenses when he was up in Oregon, right? So... UNLB's program, and if you remember me asking him after the game, Marcus, the first year, 2020, difficult, pandemic, last year, first, really your first, did this year, now that you've weeded everything out, does this feel like this is your system, your program now? You now have your your hands around the jugular of this system. It's in place with what you saw. It's a Pac-12 system that he implemented with UNLV. So for Brumfeld, for what he did... It was very impressive in how he moved the offense up and down the field. It was very unimpressive in how uncomfortable, detailed or not, if we're going to talk about the SEC, that kid's got some work to do. He's got to catch up. He's yeah. got to catch up. And uh, you know, and I told people, you know, without being too blunt about it, that 
just because someone comes in from the SEC, especially at quarterback, doesn't mean they're going to automatically be plugged in as a starter. And I also think not enough credit has been given to, and they went two and ten. So the look from the outside is that uh, Brumfield and Friel must have stunk, and that wasn't the case. Brumfield was hurt when he did play; he looked excellent, mm-hmm. but he got hurt for most of the season. And Friel had his ups and downs, but he wound up being the offensive freshman of the year in the Mountain West Conference. I caught up with Marcus Arroyo after the game, after the press conference, and started off the conversation with the obvious. That was a hell of a way for Doug Brumfield to come out. And then that's what you want. And those are the, those are the standards we drive in there. I know I got I to gotta wait to see Caleb Herring because I think, I think he was bumping up against Caleb's all, all-time efficiency record. So uh, he's, in a good, he's in a good cast of uh, characters if that's the case. But did a really nice job, man, of leading and, 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 and playing well and understanding situational football. Had a two-minute drive. I mean, there's just a lot of good things to build off of. And now it just gets harder because now, now they know. A lot of those passes that he completed were not first-choice passes. It was through the progression, right? Yeah, that, that, and that's the other thing that's really nice is now you're seeing guys play the game at, a, at a kind of a, the game slowing down. Um, he's going through progressions. He's finding checkdowns. He understands situational football. There's first and second down passing. Um, a couple things there where you throw the ball away, and he's making his plays and being smart. So that's the growth. Was the uh, deep shot touchdown, the 72-yarder to Ricky White, was that first in the progression? I mean, that, that was a, that's a ballsy call if that's the, the option on a third and two. Well, we're not afraid about being aggressive, but the, to tell you the truth, he checked that play. Yeah, he checked it, so that was big time, and uh, that was really cool to see. He, 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 him and Ricky are on the same page. He checked it, and he called himself, called his own shot. Uh, one of the other impressive passes, he completed one basically between two defenders on a cross to uh, Weimer. Yeah. And I thought, you know, in terms of you know the ability to throw everything, that mm-hmm. showed you know the tools in the toolbox. It does. It does. He's doing a good job on the progressions. I mean, whether he's checking calls, I mean, all that stuff at this point in our offense. Those guys are told, I want to be aggressive as hell. And, and if we're going to get a chance to play down the field, then we're playing down the field. And uh, he did a good job. I think he stayed with a lot of progression, stayed with, stayed with, the, stayed with the reads, stayed with the protection, and uh, played catch. What do you think of uh, Ian Robbins' debut? I liked it, man. It was good to get, good to get his feet wet. A big, guy, a big guy can run hard. You kind of see some of the stuff now that we were talking about. Uh, tough to tackle, can catch the ball. Um, you know, I think he's just going to get the more oiled up we get with him and the O-line, the better we'll be. I mentioned Ricky White, and you know Ricky's gone through a lot here, and you guys had to you know trust him, and you did your background work on him. So to come out in a half with 182 yards, I mean that's that's a good way to come out. Yeah, no, I, I think that we knew we, we know we got a guy there between those three receivers and four receivers that we took. I think it, uh, everyone was worried about you know wondering what, hey is what we, what they say going to happen. Well, I think you saw a little bit there. What'd you like uh, the most about the defensive performance? I think they had, what, 42 yards of rushing, 47 yards of rushing. Um, I think that there's a lot of good stuff that came out of that for the first time of hearing each other and being around. I like their aggressiveness. I like their intent. There was communication stuff. There was some, you know, we got beat on a couple double moves, which is just discipline, and we got to make sure we hang in there on that. Uh, we got to get the field on some other ones on fourth down. But for the most part, I, I enjoyed the way they played together, and that's the thing that we can build on. Aja K is a veteran, so high school football way back. He actually played running back in high school. What do you think of the yeah. first of hands to get the interception and kind of rumble down the field about 45 yeah. yards? Big time big time for him. He knows that if he drops a ball, he's got no excuses. So um, <laughs> that night I told him he should have scored. But other than that, man, he's just doing a good job as a leader. You've talked a lot about the team being more together and then, you know, working away from the field. So what did you see in the game tonight that, you know, kind of proves how together they are in all different areas? Well, I mean, the, the thing you find out in games like this is just if they're communicating well, if they believe in each other, and then they got each other's backs, and they, they know that they're they're going to do their job. They're going to do their 111th, and you saw some guys out there doing their 111th. I mean, they were doing their piece. They weren't pointing fingers. They weren't trying to be heroes. That's when you find out if a team really believes in each other. Um, now we got to be able to get it where it's crunch time, and it's going to get gritty and ugly, or we get fractured a little bit, and then we see what we really got to. So 
that's all going to happen in the season. I'm glad it didn't happen tonight. I'm glad right. guys really played well, and I'm looking forward to uh, moving forward. I'll give you a couple of moments where I saw togetherness and support. One, when Cam has trouble on that double move and you know goes for the long touchdown, I see Austin walk over. You give him support. I see Friel oh, yeah. walk over. Friel's not in the game. He's the third stringer coming into the game, and Friel walks over. Yep. Yeah, that, I mean, that just those things are hopefully what you get out of your culture. I mean, those are really good to see and really good to hear because you hope that you're – what you're feeling and what you're seeing is actually what's going to happen. And I think we saw some of that tonight all around. A good opportunity to get more offensive linemen in the game. Another cool moment I saw was uh, once Leaf was out of the game, Leaf Fountaineau, the center, he's over there with the chalkboard. Exactly. And he's talking to the twos, and he's like, come on, you know, don't let us down here. We, let's, let's go. Even down the stretch, we got to do it. Right. And uh, we said that coming out, we said that at, at a certain point in the game. I said, hey, and I think I, I did in the huddle as well with Jeray and a couple guys and the, when the twos were in there. And I said, hey, you can't be in the outside. You got to be in the inside of this huddle. And you guys got to be, you got to be driving the dialogue just as much as the coaches are. And so they've done a really good job. And that's player led. Yeah, good cohesion. Came out of the game pretty healthy. I asked Arroyo for an update on Naki Fahina, who had a, Looked like a lower left leg injury. I don't know if you remember. He got carted off and then sat up and yeah, you know started the wave, waving the towel. Got the don't know his status <laughs> yet. Doctor's appointment later this afternoon. Uh, Jalen Dixon, I think it was his right foot. He had a shoe off. Was kind of flexing that a little bit. Uh, beyond that, I'll have to follow up. Uh, the defensive line coach, Coach Bojay, I think had his foot stepped on. Noticed that one. He was uh, telling a player, hey, he stepped on my right foot, was limping around. And uh, I didn't get the name of the cheerleader. There was actually a cheerleader who uh, went down, I think, with a left ankle injury. So we'll try to get an update on that. I'll she get an update she on that. She didn't, she didn't look very happy on that one. But, yeah, a couple of cool, cool stories there at the end about cohesion um, and hell of a game for Brumfield. And, and, you know, and for now it answers the question, who is the guy on this team? I don't know who the number two is because Friel did come in. I mentioned Friel there being engaged on the sideline and walking over to Cam yeah. Oliver yeah. after he got beat on a double move. And the third-string quarterback is still very much into the game and walked over and looked at him. He's like, it's okay, it's good. Ajake did the same thing. But, uh, yeah, Brumfield comes out with a, a nice honor from the opening game. He does, and it's it's – you know, there's a lot of other little intangibles to go along with, you know, that, that you're not going to look at where Doug Brumfield gets Mountain West Offensive Player of the Week. Here we are in 2022. The last time a UNLV football player was honored with a Player of the Week award from the conference in week one was two thousand. Excuse me, this was week zero, but in the in the first week that they that they give the awards out, 2003 after a win over Toledo. Linebacker John Andrews and tight end Greg Estandia. And that was actually for special teams. He was a special teams player of the week. John Andrews, defensive player of the week back in 2003. Thanks, of course, to my guy Mark over at SID for getting me that before the game. But you know what, Steve? There's some other things that I want to touch on that little things. Red zone, 6 of uh, of 12. And they dominated on average yards per play, which are those little things that matter most. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. I thought the energy was really good. Playing in our stadium, it's easy to see why they'd be excited to do that. And we have a great atmosphere there. I thought the entire team showed up ready to go. They've done that since we got here. I mean, honestly, since the first day of OTAs. You know, I think that's that's been uh, kind of a hallmark of this group. Uh, got great leadership and guys that, that really want to come in there and do it right. Now. 
Back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Josh Daniels on the way back. All right, let's get to uh, some comings and goings in the National Football <sighs> League. Surprising story uh, just about 90 minutes ago. Jimmy G is going to stay with the Niners. Okay, how about that? Rework the contract. They don't want to just dump him for nothing. I'm guessing most people were calling up and asking for Jimmy G and offering nothing. And uh, let's also throw in there, maybe based on all the playing time and just some success from Trey Lance in the preseason, that Lil Shanny and John Lynch were like, yeah, we may want to keep a good backup around for Trey. Thoughts? I, it's a little shock. I'm. I don't know whether I'm shocked on one side or the other, though. Is it's? I mean, there wasn't a lot of people maybe beating down Jimmy G's door either. I know that it, something had come up a um, couple teams with injuries that are going down. Would it make sense to bring him in to back some others up? You know, we're seeing quarterbacks go down here in the preseason, but um, it's just funny because earlier today I was talking to my guy up in the Bay, Josh, and he. <laughs> We were talking about later in the week as well. I'm not sure where I'm going to be on that day because I may have to be filing a Jimmy G gets traded story, and then this comes out a few hours later. So, um, yeah, it, I think it makes sense that to, to keep him around at this point. You know, you're you're, you're up against it. Um, I, I mean, you're, I guess it's surprising because we were all waiting for the news that he was going to go. It's the fact that he's staying now and how that can stay be cohesive when when I think everybody involved. You know, it's now mending that, even whether he's backing up or not. It's it's more so just, uh, look who's here. You know what I mean? He were supposed to be gone, and, or you know, and you, the thought was you were going to be gone. Now, now, I mean, in a sense, it's like same thing like with KD, right? Like all this time, it's like, oh, well, all of a sudden we're made up, and you're just going to stay in town. Okay. Then there's the ugliness of Matt Ariza mm. and these rape allegations, and. The thought that a lot of people knew about this. San Diego State didn't move a whole lot on it. San Diego Police didn't move a whole lot on it. It comes to light when the alleged victim files a civil suit. How many teams around the NFL knew about the allegations during the draft? Because he was supposed to be the first punter selected. Matt Ariza from San Diego State goes to the Bills as the third Punter selected in the fifth round. He was the rage for many. Punt God during the preseason. And then over the weekend, I'm guessing the Bills either came to grips with the fact that the information is going to come out that they already had, or they got more information and it was to a point of no return. So Matt Ariza released over the weekend. So much to unfold with that, but I think the bottom line is, you know, when I first heard it, that he was released, and it was like, well, what took so long, and they had this information, I was unsure how much they knew when with what they knew, even, you know, well, they did their investigation, or did they reach out, did they know, what did they know, um, because if you hear things, it's, it's, um, there's, 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 there's accusations, there's allegations, there's things that are out there. So I would understand, actually, from a bill standpoint, if they were saying, well, there's lots of players that get accused of things. Now, 
That being said, when you read the LA Times story, which I believe came out Thursday when JVT and I were on, just before, um, and you read the details of some of the in the quotes and the, and the report and the civil lawsuit. Now, if those details have been out, if that's what was originally given, especially the goriest paragraph of that article, yeah, that's a problem. So I did say at the beginning, and I said it on that show, I will never, never discount a victim. But when it comes to accusations and allegations, was there a crime report? Was there a police report? Was there, you know, um, a medical report? And it appears, based on some of the stories I'm reading, starting with the LA Times, that those I's were dotted, those T's were crossed. You know, um, if 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 it comes across, these te- that's where these teams have to decipher where these accusations and allegations, what, you know, how, they got to keep them in context, but they also have to do their due diligence because if there's justification there and there's details like we're seeing, then yeah, you need to act on that. But they also, they're, I'm assuming, keeping in their mind that we see this all the time with pro football players, pro basketball players, pro baseball players. There's accusations left and right. So they have to also, innocent until proven guilty, in their mindset until they see those details. If those details were in their hands months ago, that's a problem. Dave Kokins with us next as we'll go through week zero college football betting results and get a brief look at, uh, wait, I think it's like 43 FBS versus FBS games in official week one of college football. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. He gives no Fs, and that's why you love him. It's Dave Koken on Cofield and Company. All right, rolling on on a Monday. Willie's here. It's Cofield, Finley, Toyota Studios. Dave Koken gives no Fs. Dave coming right out of the gates. What's going on with you in terms of uh, more work with video previews and guest spots? Because I think you got a lot of big stuff coming up for the NFL and college football, right? Well, yeah, actually been doing it all summer with uh, Bet Rivers and Bet US. Uh, plus the wager talk stuff, so they keep me busy. Nice. So where can people find that stuff? Um, I don't have. I can tell you the exact addresses. <laughs> we'll, I don't know. We'll find. I just, we'll, uh, we'll find and get it for you. We'll find and get it for you, and we'll do it after this next break. So uh, let's start off with the local story, and I'm sure you checked in on the game. Uh, what did you think of UNLV football and Idaho State and Doug Brumfield? Kind of answer the question for now: Who's going to be the starting quarterback? Well, yeah, Brumfield looked good last year. Then he got hurt, and he couldn't get back on the field. But he, I, I thought he'd win the job, and he did. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to take much out of the Idaho State game. They were favored by, like, 25 or so. Right. So Idaho State can't play. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think there's some positives. Uh, it's a confidence builder for the team. And a weekend that did not go well for some Mountain West teams, uh, UNLV comes out of its mountain like a rose. Yeah, I want to get to the other Mountain West Conference teams in just a couple seconds. Um, when you've done your studying for the Pac-12, how does Cal look? Because they had an uneven season last year where they they just weren't very good early. They got crushed by COVID in the middle of the season and yep. lost a game against Arizona, but they closed out pretty strong. Yeah, uh, but they, now they, you know, they lost their best player. Uh, he, you know, he's not an 
uh, he's not a skill position guy, he's a lineman, but uh, he's probably the best player on the team. He's probably gone for the year. Um, I, I don't know. Cal's just up against it. And they're just one of those programs that's going to do enough to be respectable, but that's about it. Uh, and let's just say that with the Pac-12 not looking so good anymore, their best chance of moving up is the fact that USC and UCLA are leaving. Dave Koken's with us. Wagertalk.com. All right, let's talk about some of the other games around the Mountain West Conference. I don't know if you had wagers on any of these, but I'll, I'll start with uh, Nevada and New Mexico State. I thought New Mexico State would be plucky. New coach. I actually thought their backup quarterback looked pretty good. That was not an easy cover for Nevada. No, they were lucky to win the game. New Mexico State was minus five turnovers, uh, four in the first half and then one at the end of the game. Uh, New Mexico State uh, is terrible. They arguably the worst program in the country, and Nevada almost lost to them. So despite the fact they covered the spread, that was not a good outing from the Wolfpack. And the one thing, the takeaway from that game is, man, they're slow. And uh, the market is just pounding Texas State this week as they visit Reno. And I, yeah. I think they saw the same thing I did, which is that that's a pretty bad football team. Am I an ass for betting New Mexico State plus 36.5 against Minnesota? Uh, you might be. <laughs> you might be. All right. Well, I mean, you know, yeah. look, you, you got to hope that Minnesota takes the game as seriously as Utah State did against Connecticut. Right. Because Utah State clearly was, look, we're just going to get the win and get out of here and go play Alabama next week. Um, and Minnesota could be in the same mode. I mean, there's no way they're going to be fired up for, for New Mexico State. So under, understand what I'm asking here, right? When I, when I mentioned the Alabama game and the betting number, so you believe Utah State took the foot off the gas pedal a little bit? Uh, well, it's not even took the foot off the gas pedal because it wasn't like they were leading throughout. You, so do you downgrade or you basically keep Utah State no. the same, the fact that they, they didn't cover 27 and 131-20? No, I, I take nothing out of the game. Connecticut was really excited, came out, played pretty well in the first half, and hung in there in the second half. But, I, I you know, it's just... Sometimes teams don't look that good in openers when they've got bigger games on deck. It's kind of like they play it like an exhibition game because they know they're going to win anyway. It's weird. Uh, Illinois took care of Wyoming. I thought Wyoming could compete, but they just lost too many guys to uh, Power yeah, Fives and they're not quite ready. They got killed. But then I also saw you critiquing the quarterback play. The numbers looked okay for Tommy DeVito, but you didn't love uh, his play overall and says uh, you were saying that, what, they're a quarterback away from maybe being that next-level team. Yeah, I think they, they've got some real positives on the team. And uh, we'll see more with, uh, from them against Indiana. But, again, don't take much out of the Wyoming game uh, because Wyoming is terrible right now. They got killed in the transfer portal. All the teams that got really smashed around in the transfer portal, they all played poorly over the weekend. And I think that's going to continue early on for these teams. So, why, the fact Illinois destroyed them, and I'm, I'm glad they did because Illinois was my only bet this weekend. Um, it just doesn't mean a lot. We'll find out more when they play Indiana this week. Dave, I heard an interesting little nugget last week, which I didn't. I guess I really didn't pick up on, but it was further for Vandy to travel to Hawaii than it was for Nebraska to travel to Dublin. Nebraska falls, Vandy cruises. Well, <laughs> Nebraska played Northwestern, which figures to be a lot better than they were last year. And... Hawaii, Vanderbilt played Hawaii, which is basically a high school team. So what, so what, I, we, I, what do we I, expect I, from Hawaii rest of the season? Uh, I uh, thought the quarterback play could be decent, but, man, they just died in the second half. If they win two games, they'll be doing well. Oof. 
Uh, Vandy? Uh, they'll lose all their SEC games. Okay. They're, bad. They're, they're just a bad program. Dave Kokins yeah. with us. Good baseball uh, program. I took Northwestern uh, against Nebraska. I'm not you know, patting myself on the back here. I just thought that spread was too big. What did you see from Nebraska that worries you? Uh, it's the same thing we've seen ever since Scott Frost got there. They can't win a close game. They find ways to lose. He'll do something stupid at some point in the game. And this time it was the onside kick up 11, which made no sense at all. I mean, you got to know risk versus, versus reward. And that was just dumb. Uh, and he'll be gone at the end of the year. That's it. He's done there. That's why I never understood the narrative during the summer that, hey, they played a, uh, played a lot of close games. So, of course, you know, they're going to win some of those. But they were in a lot of close games that they lost because – that team is not disciplined, and they turned the ball over a lot, and it didn't look like they had changed at all under Scott Frost. They've lost more games by one score than any program in the country since Scott Frost arrived. Amazing. All right, let's look ahead at uh, Thursday games this week. You got anything rolling right now? Um, I like this Pittsburgh team. You do? Yeah, yeah I, I think they're going to be really good. Um, Whipple... Look, he had Pickett uh, to play quarterback last year, so they were able to throw the ball. Now they've got a guy in there who's going to run the ball. This is going to be more of Narduzzi style. Run the ball and play good defense. And that's the offense he kind of likes. They've got the backs to run it. Slovis is a solid quarterback. Uh, I think Pittsburgh's going to be a really good team this year. I guess they'll contend in the, I guess I contend w- in the ACC. I guess I want to ask if uh, I'm an ass for betting West Virginia plus 7.5. Oops, I might be on the wrong side, according to Dave. Well, I hope you are, because I laid seven already. There you go. <laughs> all right, a couple of uh, big-time Saturday games. First of all, the number has grown and grown and grown, and it's very frustrating to Notre Dame fans, but Notre Dame is now catching 17 yeah. against Ohio State. Yeah, it's gotten a little too big for me. I, I, I'm not going to lay that many. Uh, it's not like Notre Dame's a terrible team. and uh, But they, it falls in that category of games I don't bet, because I don't think Notre Dame's got much of a chance to win the game. And so I don't like taking teams that I, I'm hoping they just cover. Uh, I like teams that I think are going to win. So, you know, if I'm betting a dog, I think they're going to win the game. Or I think they've got a real good chance to win the game. Look at, like, Boise, Boise State against Oregon State. I mean, it's a smaller number, but there is a game Well, I, I like the dog because I, at least on my grades, I think Boise is the better team anyway. Will you bet Oregon, do they have a shot to win the game, plus 17 against Georgia? Same thing as you just said. Yeah. That, that's just not my style of game. Yeah. It never has been. I just usually cross those games off pretty quickly. Uh, I'm either on the favorite or I just leave it alone. Dave, you are the man. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay, man. Take care. There he is. Dave Koken, wagertalk.com, uh, rolling out. Uh, they're not new, but uh, he's uh, signed up for the football season with a couple of the uh, big betting sites as well, so his content is everywhere. He's excellent on baseball. He's excellent on college football. And I got smacked around there. I wanted to get in early on a couple of Thursday games, and <laughs> Dave, Dave without knowing on the other side. Damn it. Yeah, what are you going to do? I, think a lot of, I, I do think a lot of betting uh, in the opening week um, some of it is depending on number of newcomers, how quickly are guys blending in. That's why the West Virginia-Pittsburgh game is fascinating. They're both former USC quarterbacks. It's Keaton Slovis for Pitt and JT Daniels for West Virginia. And one of the things I like to look at in that first week, 
who's returning in the trenches? If you got the heavy on, on either of the line against newcomers, 